We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because, well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> 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 Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Brew Who podcast. Obviously, since I am doing the hosting responsibilities, Adam Paris is not joining us today. I'm Kyle Carr and I am thankfully joined by Riley Feldman. Riley, how's it going? I'm doing all right, Kyle. I uh, hope things are good by you as well. We're uh it's interesting how often Adam is out exploring the country. I believe he is in big sky country right now. So Adam, if you're listening to this over a satellite radio or something, we give you a shout out and we hope things are going well for you in the middle of the country. Yep. He's, I think it was Montana or something. I don't know. Uh -huh. A state yeah. that I will probably never go to. So that I feel <laughs> confident about. <laughs> he's but... going there for us, for us. He's going to come back for their party. It'll be awesome. It'll be like we were there. Yes, he he can do the he can take the pictures and tell us how it is for me. Mm -hmm. That that mm -hmm. is totally fine. Yeah. But we talked. We finally had basketball games that mattered for the first time since March, and it was a mixed bag of sorts. Um. So we start off with the one nineteen one. Don't want to double check one nineteen to one fourteen win against the sorry one nineteen one twelve win against the Boston mm -hmm. Celtics. And the 116-120 loss to the Houston Rockets on Sunday. But we can get to the Rockets game later because I'm sure that's going to be the majority of what we're going to talk about as that was the more interesting game, to say the least. But for the Celtics game, it was an important win. Um, you always want to make sure to beat a fellow Eastern Conference rival and a team that everyone at ESPN seems to want to dub as the favorite, even though the Raptors and the Bucks still exist. So I don't know why they keep doing that, but Riley, what were your thoughts on the Celtics game? Well, so as with every single podcast, I have to own up to only having consumed only ports, portions of the games. I watched the full Rockets game, but the Boston game, that was more so highlights. It seems, and we were talking about this here before we started hitting record, it, it felt a lot like your typical Bucks win on the year, which is like, they started super hot from the get-go. They ended up going, I think it was like 17-2 to two was the initial lead to start the game. And then through a combination of like, not necessarily lackadaisical play, but you just, the other team sort of adjusts to taking that first punch in the mouth. You're a little bit more like switched off and all of a sudden Bud is like, all right, Ursan, you're going to play 20 minutes in a row right now. <laughs> Go make it happen. So like between like bench lineups, rotations, having the starters out for a while, uh, we can get into the refing if you want, but overall, it, if you look at just like the box score and then from a quarter to quarter and even just like the play-by-play, -play, it felt so typical. And even with all the things that kind of went against the Bucks, insofar as like the refing um, or not even having your full complement of players, they still got the win, which it seemed to be more indicative of troubles that Boston might have rather than Milwaukee. But I think there are things where you could be worried, again, the big thing here, and I think almost in both games we can talk about it too, is the fact that these teams are really starting to spam the charge or trying to draw charges on Giannis or Marcus Smart is to another level with the antics that he does out there on the court, which I, I'll clear the space for you in a moment. But between him and like PJ Tucker, and I'm sure teams are going to kind of, that seems like there's going to be a strategy somewhat early for teams. Like, let's just try and draw as many charges as possible, which we've seen in the past, but I'm curious to see how much that's hit heading into the playoffs where it's like, well, our best option is trying to get Giannis out. Maybe we'll get it this way. And it, it didn't go Boston's way in the game that whatever on uh, Friday, but maybe it works in the playoffs against somebody who knows. Yeah. And it was one of those where Giannis still had a very, very good game. He had 36 mm -hmm. points, 15 rebounds, seven assists. I was kind of surprised at the seven assists because it didn't seem like he was necessarily dishing it that much to other players. But Chris Middleton was typical Chris Middleton hitting big shots that he needed to, especially near the end of the Celtics game. And it was one of those where Milwaukee got off to a fast start. And because of that, I think they scored 17 straight points, including two on themselves when Giannis <laughs> and Wes yeah. were trying to go for a rebound and tipped it into the Celtics hoop. 
So it's just one of those where Milwaukee did start off fast, and Boston was shooting very poorly in the first half, and it was kind of that expected being aggression where they weren't going to continue shooting, I think it was at one point 18 or 20%. So that wasn't going to happen, but you kind of saw it throughout the game where Bud starting an all-bench lineup of George Hill, Sterling Brown, Ursula, Kyle Korver, and Robin Lopez, and that if Bud wants to do it for these next six seeding games, go ahead, but that cannot be in the playoffs. That cannot be displayed when the games are going to truly, truly count and affect Milwaukee because a team like the Miami Heat or the Indiana Pacers are a better team. They're going to fully exploit it, and I think that's something that maybe Bud's just experimenting, maybe trying to get everyone up to speed because they've been off for the last four months. Um, so it was just kind of those combinations, and with the Celtics, I'll get to the refs at a different point. Um, but I think with Boston, it was just they couldn't necessarily find a rhythm. It seemed like Kemba Walker wasn't that effective. Jason Tatum only had five points. He was shooting the ball poorly. Jalen Brown really didn't do much. The only Celtics players that were really effective were Daniel Tice and Marcus Smart. So when you have that kind of combination, they were still able to chip their way back between free throws and the shooting starting to regress and Bucks' offensive struggles outside of Giannis and Chris. And it was kind of that was kind of a mixture that you were going to expect, and it's like that every single Bucks Celtics game this in the season, where the Bucks get off to a fast start, Boston makes a little bit of a run, makes things interesting, and Milwaukee's able to close it out. Um, the only time they did it was the first time these two teams played, and that's when Milwaukee blew the game. And you know, it's and that was the same case as last year, and it's been the same case. It's been the case for the last couple of years with the Bucks and Celtics, where Milwaukee can get out to a fast start, and Boston just doesn't. So. Um, we can talk about the refs and Marcus Smart. I don't know how much of his antics you saw exactly, but feel free. I'll let you have the floor first on that. Well, so before, because I feel like that's going to be the real, the real hot takey, uh, the real vociferous part of the podcast. I do want to give a shout out. You already said that Chris, he made the big shots when he was called upon or even just tossing in as like, you know, extra misery for the Celtics when the runs were going their way. But I want to give credit to him, and hopefully he takes this on, and it seems like he's going to, given the way that the Rockets game went as well. But we complained or were somewhat nervous in the past about the fact that he would not necessarily take over, or if he was taking shots, he would like a typical Chris game, even against the Raptors, would be like, he went 3 of 10 or whatever. It's like, okay... The 10 shots you just want to see more even if he's not making them just the sheer mentality to take the shot and own the space and try and build your own gravity and given the way that he plays so often it's like it's like any other type of score all, all around score where it's so much it kind of comes and goes and he's been on such a hot streak all season where i think he should get credit in this game 20 shots he only makes six of them but don't shy away from it, especially in these games where we're experimenting. The personnel, like Eric Bledsoe, is still coming back. You're not at full staffed when it comes to the roster. I would love to, through these through these seeding games, if he continues that, even if it's not necessarily at the highest rate, just get in the mode. And e- even against the Rockets, the last two possessions, last two shots go to him. We, I'd prefer to see that than him shying away or running a bad play or you know being like, ah, he might be off, so let's go to somebody else. So I think he should get a shot on the Celtics game for that, just for the sheer attempt volume. Yeah, and the pick-and-roll offense that we had saw in the scrimmage, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was present. It wasn't as present as it was when the scrimmage, but when the Bucks needed baskets, that was the go-to. So that's kind of encouraging to see. It's kind of another option that the Bucks could use in crunch time. So that way they can either alleviate the pressure on Giannis or try and get Chris to take more ownership. And maybe that can cause defense collapse and you can kick it out to Wes or when Eric Bledsoe is healthy, he might be a guy that can slash as well. So definitely something that we saw a little bit, but it wasn't as frequent as in the scrimmage. I don't know if that was just by design or just natural flow of the game. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good point about the pick and roll because even last night again, so we should context we're recording on Monday. By the time you get this, the next game will probably be over. Cause it'll take that long to edit and get up. But uh, against the Rockets, even there were multiple possessions where Chris ball handler, top of the key, you know, Brooke Lopez comes over, sets the pick. And then because Chris has this gravity, because there are teams that are starting to honor the fact that they're trying to make him beat them or whatever the situation is, or if he's out there and Giannis is on the bench, 
the fact that he's able to manipulate defenses and it doesn't have to be a crazy pass. It doesn't have to be like a James Harden in full transition between his legs through and into a guy in the paint. If it's just a simple over the top of the defense to a Brook Lopez that nobody else is adjusting to and moving to check. I mean, that's a free basket. And we saw that his partnership with Giannis, his partnership with Brook. I'd be curious with other players as well, but if he continues to do that, he doesn't have to be a maestro. Just make the simple pass and you can use your own personal gravity to open things up. Yep, for sure, for sure. Oh, okay, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go off on these referees. They were terrible. <laughs> it's going. It, Giannis is going to get injured one of these days because a player keeps falling under the hoop mm-hmm. on him, and it's getting out of hand. And I think the dumbest part was Celtics fans were openly complaining about how Giannis was. You know, he supposedly had eight or nine fouls, which you look at some of those fouls he got. One was where he supposedly kicked Marcus Smart. That was clearly a flop. The other was, I think it was on Jalen Brown. He, he, Giannis was getting calls that even a subpar NBA player should not be getting called on. But I don't know if it was with the referees. And you see it in the Rockets game. The Rockets, they still get Giannis a couple fouls and a couple offensive fouls, but it was not to the degree that the Celtics were doing. And that just kind of shows that you can't get away with flopping all the time. And I think that was more of an issue with Marcus Smart in particular. He's trying to, you know, say with the offensive foul at the end that eventually got reversed that, you know, it's the league's mandate or whatever, because they can't just kick you on a out. It's like, that's complete garbage because you were not in position. You were not set. You were still moving when he got under there. Why? That's never a charge. And the NBA confirmed it later on. The NBA is one of those league, one of the few leagues that, well, at least own up if they made the wrong call. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just think with how Giannis plays, and you kind of mentioned it with players trying to take more charges, I, I think that's one thing. But at the same time, that can't be your only defensive option because Giannis will eventually figure it out. It might mm-hmm. take two, three games for him to get it, but he will get it. And I think with Boston, I think Boston is really notorious for this. And I think that's mainly because of who Marcus Smart is as a person. <laughs> It's one of those where if they really want to bank on that, they're going to be in some trouble. And I I just don't understand where Celtics fans can get off on the notion that the refs were rigging a regular season game in the bubble for the Milwaukee Bucks of all teams. And the Celtics, meanwhile, are shooting 24 free throws in the first half. Yeah. Yeah, the the hypocrisy of it all is... Part of it is like the ref discourse has gotten so out of hand for like every fan base feels aggrieved. So no matter what the game, it it doesn't matter. It could be like a February game against the Kings. And it's like, this is so much BS, like both fan bases. That's just kind of like the state of things, but it, it's the main issue that people continue to have. And it's not, I don't necessarily blame everybody if they don't watch a lot of Bucks games. And this is also a problem for the refs, but. Giannis is a seven footer that moves the way he does is as physical as he is, um, is as agile as he is and how willing. And to be fair, there are a lot of times where he'll just straight up like throw a shoulder into a dude. And it's like, okay, I mean, you know, just, there's a lot of physicality. There's a lot of contact and that makes it hard for a, a bang, bang call. But in situations where it's like they go after the fact and like Jalen Brown, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but like supposedly posting a, a bad Photoshop of him, like Giannis holding the hand of a ref because there's such BFFs and like. He knew what he was doing when he posted yeah. that shit. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> no, it was, it was pretty juvenile and trying back down like he did. Like just own up to it, dude. But it's like. We've seen Giannis foul out. It's not like the refs or like the NBA at large is afraid of fouling him out. Like it's actually a miracle he doesn't foul out even more because up until the very end, even if he has five fouls, he's always his motor is always on, which he should get a lot of credit for. It makes him such a difficult defensive assignment, but he's just hard to ref. That is what it is. And if there are times where it seems like his physicality seems a little over the top and isn't getting called, just the fine balance is that there are so many possessions. And after the Boston game, there are a lot of videos of like, here's Giannis driving. He gets past Tatum, but Tatum throws his leg into his leg. And then Tice puts his, like, he throws his elbow into him. And then, you know, I think Marcus Smart like tries to draw the charge at the very end or whatever. It's like on every possession, just given the speed, 
you're probably missing a lot of contact that if we're really being granular about things are going to be called as fouls on it, people are going to be called for fouling Giannis on. And it, it, so you have to kind of take the good with the bad. I, that's why I try not to complain about refing too much unless it's really egregious, but it's just, it, it, there is a balance to it. And it's not, he's obviously not the NBA's golden child when it comes to refing because there's a lot of contact he gets where he doesn't get favorable foul calls or there's a lot of charges that are char- taken that like don't probably qualify as charges but get called simply because of the way that he plays so that's why i would just appeal it's it's annoying i know we don't have any celtics fans probably that listen to this podcast but it balances out trust me it balances out and that's it, it's frustrating but that is what it is and if there are celtics fans listening to this y'all are crying <laughs> too much and i didn't see any of the same complaints on sunday when they had doubled at one point the Trailblazers' free throw disparity, despite only having four less fouls in the Trailblazer. Doesn't make sense, but it is what it is. And I also think it's them trying to cover for the fact that their golden child, Jason Tatum, was absolute garbage, getting only five points on two of 18 (laughs) shooting. Um, How much of that is attributed to the defense? And that's something that the Bucs were really good at, even with their notorious bench lineup, is defensively they did a pretty good job. And... We can talk about the adjustments they had to make with the rotation. Obviously, Pat Connaughton and Eric Bledsoe were not available as they are trying to get up to speed after their positive COVID test. Marvin Williams was a late scratch as well. So most of the bench consisted of George Hill, uh, Sterling Brown, Ursula Lyosov, and Robin Lopez, Dante DiVincenzo getting the start for Eric Bledsoe. And how did you think Dante did in his first game as the starter with this group? (sighs) Mixed bag. I think the issue with Dante is that he's had such a leap forward this season. Whereas, like, who knows what the possibilities are with this guy? Like, maybe he's an actual superstar. I'm probably <laughs> not fully there, but it's like, well, maybe he'll be like okay as a point guard. And he's had stints as a point guard throughout the regular season, but it was like, well, you know, Eric's gone. You want George as the bench guy, so just give Pat or uh, Dante, I should say, let's just give him the minutes to see how it goes. Um, he was a lot worse in the Rockets game, but even in the Celtics game, it's like his ability, his skill set right now, and what he excels at does not fit well with that sort of role. It can in a pinch in transition. He's very good at finding Giannis. Um, he, he's good at cutting. He's good at not making boneheaded mistakes all the time, but his like dribble is still too a little, a little too loose. His passing isn't super duper crisp. Like he had quite a few turnovers. Um, and the other thing is, like, when the ball is on him, and I'm just not sure if he is necessarily super effective at, like, blowing by guys in the way that Eric is and using his physicality to puncture the defense. And so you have that problem. And he, like I said on last week's podcast, there are positives to what he brings on defense. But as a primary on-ball guy, um, you know, I mean, Kemba shot pretty poorly. I'm not sure how much of that you can chalk up to Dante specifically. But I just wonder... I think we kind of have confirmation that you can't have Dante as your point guard right now, maybe in the future after another off season, but it's just too big of a role for what he does, which is fine. He's a second year player. If he has to have a more limited role to shine, that's totally okay. That's just something that's been really driven home in these two games. Yeah. It's definitely one of those where Eric Bledsoe being the starting point guard is what Milwaukee needs. Dante can somewhat do it in a pinch, but it's not ideal. It's not something that, if you're aiming for a championship, probably isn't what you want in year <laughs> two of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, also, because then it takes Dante off the bench, then you're starting in his bench lineup, and we can talk mm-hmm. more about Sterling in a bit. But it's the guard rotation right now is very, very thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, with no content, with no blood. So, George, not George Mason, Frank Mason, not getting the chance of a run out. He was active in both of the games, but he didn't play. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes before Connaughton and Bledsoe come back. Because I know Connaughton was saying he feels fine. He was explaining when he noticed his symptoms and when he, you know, got his test. And he was saying that he's just going to – the timeline is unclear. So how long that's going to persist is going to be important because, as we saw in the Rockets game, in which the Bucks lost, turnovers – if you had to explain why Milwaukee lost, you could look straight at the 21 or 22 turnovers that they had. Um, I guess we can start there. This was the game that Dante looked very, very mm-hmm. bad and loose with the ball. And I don't know if he was trying to do too much. I don't know if it was just Westbrook's defense on him, but 
he was probably one of the main culprits in the turnover party that Milwaukee had. Yeah, him and Chris, they uh this is like the the Jekyll and Hyde where they have moments where they can be really crisp and really decisive passers, and then they'll have moments where either trying to do too much or they're kind of falling into passing lanes a little too often. Not to be fair, the Rockets are pretty good defensively, especially when it comes to like James Harden as quick hands. They're just kind of swarmy sort of guys when it comes to defense, if they're not trying to like have PJ Tucker post up broke or whatever. Um, I think, I don't know if I would say if I can say if he was trying to do too much. I, I mean, he obviously was there were multiple <laughs> possessions where he was like, there, I saw the joke where it was like Sterling Brown gets the ball and then quote like Sterling Brown time. I felt Dante had a lot of possessions like that too, where it's like it's Dante's time, which is fine. And it's for the most part for the Bucks, these games are somewhat meaningless, but like he's just kind of all over the place. Like, and he was not good defensively against Russ either. Like he was just getting torched when he got pulled all the way out to the perimeter outside, like past the three point line, just getting blown past, which is again, understandable given his athleticism compared to like Russell Westbrook, but it, I don't know why Dante felt like he had to do so much. I don't know if it was like a reaction to the Celtics teams or like, well, now I'm going to step up or like, there's like this pressure because it's James Harden, and the Rockets, I, but it, you could see it multiple times. And did he even make a three? Let me go check. I he made one three. One for six from three, not great. Catch and shoot was pretty ugly as well. It, it's just, again, it's like, not necessarily the moment's too big. The role is too big. Like you can defer to Chris and Giannis quite a bit more. And I think they did, but even then Chris was struggling and there's only so much Giannis can do when they're, you know, trying to draw charges or he's, you know, working around trying to work in like the posts in a, against a team that's somewhat undersized. I, I just, I'm not worried about Dante. I would prefer if Eric comes back sooner rather than later, as soon as he can, so that Dante can kind of get back into his specific role off the bench or whatever it is. Cause I think right now it's just, it's just not a fit, which is fine. It's not the end of the world. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. It's not necessarily something I'm worried about. This is what you're going to get when you try and make Dante your primary ball handler. And it was just, there were times where he would drive to the rim and instead of trying to go up with it, he would kind of do what Giannis does and kind of try and throw a pass midway in the air. And it's like, that's not going to work. Giannis can get away with it because he's, so if the tall has a wingspan, he can pick those guys out ahead of time. Well, Dante can't. And he had the second most turnovers on the team. He had five turnovers. Um, Chris had six. So not ideal. At least with Chris, he was the only player, it seemed like, in the first half that was in a rhythm and getting into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something where maybe if George Hill plays better, then Dante doesn't feel that pressure. Or maybe if the Rockets, they are that kind of team where with their small ball, they do have a bunch of guys that – Swarmy is a good way to put it. They're just they they will try and swap the ball at any chance they get, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as you and as we saw near the end of the game, it pays off. And it does pay off, and you get the steal. But other times, it kind of leaves them a little bit more exposed. But it is kind of those things where it's hard to find those passing lanes. Um, but no, I'm not necessarily worried about Dante. It was just one of those games where you kind. This is what you get, and especially with trying to contain Russell Westbrook, very few players in the league are able to do that. Um, I think, though, with the rest of the starters, it took Brook Lopez a full half to get going. But you know, Giannis, once again, 36 points, 18 rebounds, 8 assists. Again, I, I feel like Giannis is getting all these assists. It doesn't feel like it as much just mm-hmm. because Milwaukee only shot 25% from three. <laughs> so you have that situation where the shots aren't falling. And when the shots are falling, then the delete – Defense is able to collapse other than Chris Middleton. Wes Matthews doesn't get that super involved. The bench also doesn't do anything. I think the only players to be a double digits were Giannis, Chris, and Brooke. Yeah. Yeah, it's – and there were a lot of things – to me, I thought there were a lot of good things to take away from the Rockets game. So, one, the fact that they were able to fight back from being down, you know, I think it was like double digits. I don't know how bad the lead got. But they were able to fight back a couple of times, take the lead. They lost it. They got it back, things like that. I thought it was really heartening, especially to see one Giannis dominate, but two, Brooke do his thing where even in the Rockets game to start the season, end of the game, I think Giannis fouled out. They went to Brooke down in the post that he had the mismatch against PJ Tucker. This is the Rockets are a uniquely undersized team, but they, the fact that Boonholzer was willing to go to that multiple possessions, 
And maybe it wasn't super effective if you're trying to do like a traditional post up. But as soon as Brooke like faced up to the basket, he's like, he towers like a foot and a half over PJ Tucker. Like this is just essentially taking candy from a baby here. And he had a couple of possessions that were just fun because it's like, oh, look at this giant guy that they can't do anything about. So I thought that was great. Um, Chris, some of the moves he was doing in the first half, like just in the flow of his own game, like, oh, beautiful stuff. Just on-ball offense, it was really good from him. Um, and again, Giannis, there were some negatives in that, like, especially to close the game. I don't know. Did it feel like they were, did they, like, fold under the pressure to you? Or was it, because they had those five straight possessions where they had turnovers. They had the, I, I think, the Rockets went up one. Instead of calling a timeout, they just went, okay, Giannis do full head of steam, and then he turned it over while when he went airborne. And then they had the two crisp looks. So did you feel like, were, was there anything of concern there? Or kind of what did you think about that sequence? That's where I'm kind of torn because I had said, you know, the Bucks shot like 25%. They committed 23 turnovers. <laughs> you know, in that situation, they had no right being, and after, after they were down 11, that's when I figured the wheels were going to start falling off. With all the turnovers, with all the missed shots, maybe they could get it within single digits, but I didn't think they would come back and take the lead necessarily just because it seemed like every time Milwaukee was able to generate some momentum and get it within a three-point game or a four-point game, Houston would get a three or Houston would get, get a couple of free throws. But, you know, it gets to like the third, I think it was at three minutes and 14 seconds. Milwaukee's up 112-104. And while the game isn't necessarily over, the next couple, this is when Houston goes on a 9-0 run, and this, this is how the possessions go for Milwaukee. Chris Middleton turnover. PJ Tucker then hits the three, 112, 109. George Hill with the turnover. Robert Covington gets the basket, 112, 111. Giannis gets the turnover that James Harden steals. Uh, Russell Westbrook gets the basket. It is now 112, 113. Bucks are trailing. Christmas is the three. Then the Rockets get it. Marvin Williams enters. George uh, West Matthews misses the three. Brooke Lopez gets the rebound and dunks it. That's when Milwaukee gets the lead, 114 with. 114 to 113 with 43 seconds left. Westbrook gets two free throws, make it 114-115 Houston. And then that's when Giannis gets his layup to make it 116-115. Westbrook gets another couple free throws. And this is when, after the free throws, instead of calling the timeout, that's when Giannis goes down full head of steam to the basket, gets that bad turnover to Daniel House, who then steals it, gets his free throws, and that's kind of all said and done besides the Chris look. So, it was a lot of just capitulation in terms of not being secure with the ball. And in that whole process, I think the Bucks only call one. I think they only call like two timeouts. Mm-hmm. And one of them is after Houston takes the lead and the other is right before the first Chris Middleton three-point attempt. So I, I think they did kind of fold under the pressure because even if you couldn't, it would have been what they, if they were just missing shots, but the fact that you had three straight turnovers and then, four out of like the five possessions are turnovers. That's kind of where it's like, you got to do better. And I know Bud said that's on him, which part of it I think is true, but I think that's also where the lack of Eric Bledsoe really was highlighted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so tough. This is like, this is like talking about the regular season too, where it's like, well, it's game like 67. Like who really cares if they didn't play that well down the stretch? Like it's, they've won 50 some games. The bubble games are difficult because they're sort of like a preseason for the Bucks, but the intensity is like a playoff game. To me, I guess I worry a little bit because even if Eric Bledsoe was out there, maybe you're able to cut down a couple of the turnovers, but this kind of falls back into the situation where how much of it is Budenholzer not wanting to run a structured play, trusting his guys and the principles that they have, which he, he's been on the record. He prefers that, and I think in a game like this where he might not want there to be a lot of tape from for other teams to say, here's the kind of plays that they're running. You know, maybe that's something that motivated as well. But the fact that there didn't seem to be a lot of structure, which normally is okay, but then the guys, nobody really stepped up necessarily in a way that helped close the game out, which seems like somewhat of a recurrent issue like whenever a game i'm not sure maybe you disagree with this but i think anytime a game was close for the bucks i always felt like it was like a total 50 50 proposition like i was like well it could go our way it could not go our way like Giannis isn't necessarily 
a closer in a traditional sense because a lot of I'm not sure. It's kind of tough to run a play for him out of after a timeout. Chris is like your arch, archetypal guy who would close it, but then there's a lot of plays where you just run him into defenders and the other team knows it's going to be the case. And so, like, it's hard to peg some guy who's going to be like a closer. And if they're not that good at running after timeout plays that are getting guys good looks, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not too worried about it just because there's a lot of energy expended to get there. He had some like bad bench lineups to get you in that position. Um, but even then to the other side too, you could say, I mean, the Rockets got up 61 shots from three and a lot of those were wide open <laughs> from the corner. It was as simple as like driving kick action. That's all they had. I mean, PJ Tucker that. alone had four or five in the first half that he missed. Yeah. And, and then, well, and then you jinxed us. So we're going to yeah, have to talk about that. <laughs> we have to talk about that too. But I just think there were a lot of things, positives, but the way the sequence, the way the game ended, keep an eye on that. The amount, sheer amount of threes and how easy it was for the Rockets to get the open threes. Keep an eye on that. And then there's a couple of things too. Like, I don't know if you want to talk about George Hill. We can kind of talk about him, but there's a couple of other like player things like, eh, who knows where this is going to go. So those would be the areas that I would be still concerned about after this game. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to the bench because ugh, yikes. That's, that's um, an issue too. Yeah. Yeah. With the end of the game, I think, Giannis is the type of closer where you're up one or it's tied or you're up two. You're It's a one-basket game, but you're ahead or it's tied. That's when I think Giannis thrives the best is when you get him the ball and he's able to get that layup or get a dunk or get fouled. And I think that's kind of how he is in terms of a closer. He's kind of more the whatever hope you think you have, it's gone. Yeah. And while it's when the Bucks are behind or they need a quick basket – I don't know. I don't want to say Giannis doesn't have it, but that's not where his skill set necessarily is the best because sometimes teams are just going to let him get the basket because then they get the ball back. But I, I think he's kind of when it, when they're trailing, that's when you normally see Chris Middleton and they run that play that everyone on the face of the earth knows <laughs> is going to happen. Yeah, and I think that's a separate thing. Maybe we need to think of a new play for Chris, but. I, you know, I feel like near the end, at the very least, this is why I was wondering with Budenholzer not having that timeout, could he have gotten a three-point look for Wes Matthews? Could he have gotten a look for George Hill? Even if it's, could he have gotten a post play for Brooke Lopez? I think that's where it was kind of more of a, I think the, not necessarily lack of experience, but I think the difficulties of these games, and obviously it's still very much preseason-esque, but the problem is all the teams in the bubble are pretty good at this point. Like there's no mm-hmm. Cleveland Cavaliers. There's no New York Knicks. There's no Minnesota Timberwolves. Like all the teams in the bubble are very good teams that are within playoff contention. All, each of them are going to fight for whether it's playoff lines or seeding. So all, so the intensity of the stakes for this game for most of these teams are going to mean a lot more than for the Bucks. So I think that's really how I would look at it. But yeah, Milwaukee's bench did not help in any way, shape, or form. This is the second game in a row. Well, okay, I'll take that back. Robin Lopez was very effective in his short stints against the Celtics and Rockets, but I'll just say this. Sterling Brown was the second-best Sterling that night, and the one in first place was a seventh-month-old baby who was mm-hmm. sleeping. Yep. I tried defending him a little bit after the Celtics game on Friday, Offensively, he's been bad, and I think that's where most people are highlighting. Defensively, at least Sterling Brown against the Celtics was active. He was still getting in front of guys. He was still – his hands were pretty quick. He's had good footwork. Offensively, he was just bullhorning into the rim and nothing good was coming out of it. That (laughs) repeated itself on Sunday. So I think the issue with Sterling Brown was his offense, and yes, he was the second-best Sterling that night. (laughs) I can't believe he still does this, man. It's so crazy of all the players like – I was gotten a whatever like a quick Twitter conversation and somebody speculated was like, well, maybe he just knows that he's on his way out, so he's like, whatever. I'm like, I mean, I guess, but how how is it that he's been allowed to get to this point like two seasons and he's he did this like back in summer league like two years ago. It's just like it's it's Sterling time. I don't know if it's like a hero mentality. He's not like awful on ball necessarily but it's just like just pass dude like as soon as he gets the ball in transition i'm like you know it's not leaving his hands like he's going to try and make the attempt and it's just it's a wasted possession most of the time because he's just not that good as a finisher yeah i think someone had commented to me i think it was aj ajs 
someone had commented on Twitter, if it was you, I apologize, but he had said Sterling's not allowed to dribble. And I think the prime example was there's a fast break where Sterling had the ball, Giannis was to his right, and George Hill was trailing for three. Mm-hmm. And that's one where you should have, at the very least, given Giannis the ball, even if you <laughs> yeah, are yeah. like two feet away from him. Yeah. But you had George Hill trailing, and George Hill, even despite his struggles, an open George Hill three is better than what every Sterling Brown was going to try and do. So, and I don't know if it's because the lack of, you know, aggressive players on the Bucks. You know, you kind of George Hill, where he's more the ball handler. He's going to hit the threes. You know, Ursan is there. Kyle Korver. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Korver can shoot, but. You know, He's also kind of, just there for the most part. Just kind of there. <laughs> I don't know why Bud thought putting Ursan and Kyle Korver out against the Rockets of all teams, perimeter <laughs> defense wise, was a good idea. <laughs> Marvin Williams yes. did come back, which was yeah. good. But <laughs> it was a magnet. The four minutes where Ursan and Kyle shared the floor, I'm like, this is this is just massacre. We're watching a murder happen right here on national TV. It was <laughs> not that's, a good four minutes. Between that and DJ Wilson playing, that's when I knew Bud just did not care. Uh huh. Yeah. But it, the lack of the bench has hurt Milwaukee. I think in the Rockets game, they only had 18 points from their bench, five from George Hill, five from Kyle Korver, four from Marvin Williams, and two from Ursan, It's and two from Lopez. So it's like no one's really chipping in. And, I mean, for most of the guys besides George Hill and Marvin and Kyle Korver, like George Hill had 27 minutes and Marvin Williams had 23, Korver had 18 so the other bench guys didn't get much run, but it's still one of those things where when you when they're coming in, they have to contribute and they have to help out because it's going to be one of those things where, as we saw with the Raptors game, the Raptors bench is what really got them to win that series last year other than Kawhi. And it's just more of a can Milwaukee's bench make that contribution. And I will shout out DJ Wilson because in the seven minutes that he played, he didn't score, but he was still getting a couple of rebounds. He still got four rebounds, and he was still defensively pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, probably the best defender on Westbrook out of anyone, which is yeah. – I don't know if that's a good thing, but for DJ Wilson, props to him. I think you tweeted it. He is always ready, and that is a skill that I applaud him for. He seems mm-hmm. – when he's when he goes in, he's, he's ready, and that's something that – you got to have with your bench players. And I feel like with most of these guys, none of them have it at the current moment. All of them were a plus minus. All of them were in the minus. All like, yeah, no one really contributed to scoring defensively, just giving up threes, which part of it is by design with Houston's offense and how Milwaukee's defense is set up. Yeah. I think the point about the bench players, it's not even like, I don't, I pray to God. No offense, Ursan, but I pray to God we don't play Ursan like at all. Like, okay, all his minutes, those are Marvin's minutes now. That's fine. And I have confidence because I haven't seen anything to the contrary to think that, I mean, Marvin is, compared to Ursan, I mean, he's lightning fast on defense. So, I mean, you have an upgrade there, and then all you need for him to really do is, like, be sometimes get an offensive rebound or threes. Okay, he can do that. Dante, I, I'm confident that he hit another level and once he returns to a smaller role things will go a lot better for him george hill i'm worried about because if eric doesn't perform then george hill is the break glass in case of emergency uh option and if he's not shooting well from three then that makes life a lot more difficult for the team because where are the guardmen's going to come from at that point yeah that's kind of why they brought George Hill back and didn't bring Brogdon back. Like there are a lot of factors, but that is one of those reasons where even though you lost Brogdon, you at the very least had George Hill like as that in case of emergency and through most of the season, he was doing really well. And it was like, okay, all the fears are alleviated, but yeah. How long does it take him to get going? And yeah, with Dante, it's kind of the same thing. Urson, if he if all his minutes go to Marvin Williams and DJ Wilson, I'm totally okay with that. I think Robin Lopez, for the short minutes that he has gotten in both games, has done what he has needed to do. Yeah, I guess we're giving Kyle Korver a bunch of minutes for God knows why. Yeah, he's getting a lot of minutes, like a lot, a lot of minutes. How much? That's the he- one player where I'm like, I don't know why you're getting this many minutes. Like Urson, I somewhat understand. He's a bud guy. Marvin yeah. Williams still he was hurt on Friday, and you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's I understand because they don't have Eric and Pat to like soak up 
ostensibly those minutes, but it's like, dude, <laughs> does Kyle need to play 18? That seems a little excessive given the situation. And like, I mean, it's not like he was lighting the world on fire from three to really, though we should give a shout out. That blow by in the fourth quarter, oh, where Kyle, <laughs> he almost he almost sacrificed his life to get that to go. It was beautiful, and I salute him for that because I don't. That might be the last like blow by of his career that we witnessed yesterday. So, sh so shout out to Kyle Corbin for that. It's kind of like in NBA Street when you had that little bit of energy left and you hit that R two button and you use all whatever stamina and energy you yeah. have to get to that. That was what Kyle Korver did. <laughs> so <laughs> it was awesome. I I don't anticipate that ever happening again no. in a Bucks uniform, and hopefully he doesn't have to play fifteen to twenty minutes every night. If so, I don't think we're going to win the finals. I'm going to be honest with everybody. I don't think it's unless they're garbage time minutes. Yeah, I I feel the same way, but I. There is one player that I feel like we need to talk about, and it's mainly because offensively he has not done much of anything, and that is Wes Matthews. Mm -hmm. Didn't really shoot the ball well against Houston. Only one of six from three. Celtics game was – he was a little bit better, but still a concern at, in terms of shooting. Two of six from three, so he's not really hitting the shots. Um but I think defensively, he has been fantastic. He did a great job at James Harden because even though Harden had 24 points, I mean, Harden was still 5-14 from the field, and most of those came on free throws. And his three Harden's three-point shooting wasn't that good as well. So are we concerned about Wes, or is his defense making up for the fact that his offensive contributions can at least – is his defense giving him a pass for not contributing on offense, I guess is what I'm asking. I would say yes, um, because he has the history of being a really good, like a decent, really good three-point shooter. I, I imagine that'll come around eventually. And in my mind, like the role that we assigned in, in everybody's like narrative of the Raptor series, where it's like, well, Chris is going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting on whoever the like lead guard or forward is for the other team. In that case, it was Kawhi. And thus that kind of reduces his ability to contribute a lot on offense. If we can have Wes slot in, because he can kind of defend up and down depending on who he's, you know, it's a little bit tougher with like a quick, quicker guard, but the defensive system is supposed to be able to help with that. But if it's like a Kawhi, a Jason Tatum, a James Harden, if Wes is able to at least even disrupt them and give the rest of the defensive system that much more solidity that you don't have to worry about chasing around a star player on the perimeter and, you know, worrying about them orchestrating something then the offensive woes, you just kind of hope that works its way out. And I think he has enough of a reputation where he still stretches out the defense just by his presence. And so I think through these two games and through a lot of the season as well, I should give him credit. He's done exactly the three and D thing to such a high level, especially the defensive, which he should get credit for and makes life a lot easier and justifies the minutes they get. So I'm not worried about it. And I think, he slots in perfectly as like the low usage guy with the four other starters that kind of gives you the distance. You don't need a lot from that guy. And he's theoretically offensively able to do it and defensively actually has been doing it. So I think he's been just fine to me. Yeah, I would agree, especially with how he's done with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, James Harden. He, his defense has been one of the main reasons why Milwaukee has been as good as it was the last two games defensively. I, I think the shots will start falling. I think he, the looks are there. It's not necessarily he's just jacking up bad shots. They're just not falling, which seems to be the story of Milwaukee's season. Um, <laughs> yeah, which could be a concern. And, and But they also won like an F load of games, and they still do pretty well over. So if they just have all they need is like a two-week stretch of really good shooting, and then they'll just be decimating teams. It's got to happen eventually. Like math-wise, it has to happen. It's not even – they need a good shoot. They just need a decent. Like, if they shoot 35%, <laughs> that would be okay. Because yeah. then that probably is an extra five threes of games that they're making. So even if they're decent, I would take it at this point. But yeah, it is what it is. Um, what We are going to take a quick break, um, let some ads come in and fill in this time. And when we come back, we are going to go through our normal rapid-fire questions, a film review, and if Riley has a pen review, we're going to have that. If not, I have a special question for him otherwise. So we'll be right back. And we are back. Okay. So 
we have rapid fire questions. Um, I don't know if it was my turn to do it. I feel like it was since I didn't do the last two, but I just decided I'm going to do it anyway. So are you ready, Riley? I am ready. Okay. First one. It's an easy one. Favorite dessert? Ice cream. What type of flavor? I go mint chocolate chip. I am pretty wide open mindset wise to all sorts of different ice creams. Not a huge, if it's like vanilla with fruit, okay. But if it's like strawberry ice cream, not as big on that. I want my chocolate or my vanilla as the base. And then I'm willing to work around wherever outside of that. And mint chocolate chip is still number one though. I, I think that is very fair. Um, did you have a favorite type of car growing up like was there a certain car that you're like i wish i would own that <laughs> this is super super lame but i thought cadillacs were the coolest cars ever i was like and i had no idea like the uh everybody because they think of like a big uh like coupe de ville or not not coupe de ville yeah coupe de ville right I don't even remember any of it all, but like they always yeah. associated or like, Oh, so you want like the old person car. I'm like, well, they look cool though. I was like, so I always thought like the Cadillac CTS was super cool. I still think they're cool and I still like Cadillacs. So F the haters, I guess that were my family. Sorry, family, if you're listening. <laughs> I just liked, I liked all sorts of, I'm not a big Escalade fan, but any of the sedans, I'm a big fan of the Cadillacs. That's fair. That is, yeah, I can see like having a Cadillac because I feel like having a Cadillac just meant you had a lot of money. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I was like, they're luxury cars. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> so I think for me, that was kind of my thought process was like, it, it is money. It, it means you have a lot of money. So yes, I would love to have a catalog. Yeah. Um, okay. One of the questions, and I meant to ask this last week, but if you had unlimited resource and money, money is not a question. What fountain pen would you buy? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Jeez unlimited money i'd have to like pull up my list i would say man i'm gonna have to like cut all this out here i would say maybe like a sailor 1911 um they're like the creme de la creme of the japanese fountain pen sailor is like one of the top brands gold the the nib itself is made out of gold um, I think I'd probably go for a fine nib and they just look like when you imagine what a fountain pen, like a classic one, it's tough to visualize cause I don't really have one, but like just straight black with like Chrome, like stylings on it. Beautiful pens. I'd say probably like a sailor 1911, but it, give me a week to think on it because I'll, I'll look at some ads and be like, Oh, I love those. Have <laughs> that, and I'll have a whole new answer for you. I will follow up with that then next week. Um, and then my final question, was there a chore that you hated doing as a kid growing up? Oh, uh, this is so funny. My my mom still pokes fun at my brother and I. She loves <laughs> mulching, like putting down fresh mulch, oh. getting the mulch. Oh. <laughs> so getting the fresh mulch because we had multiple like berms and stuff and like the garden and the walkways and everything. So, I mean, everything needed mulching all the time. So I despised it because it was, it took forever. We never did a good enough job. We could they, like, you had to like get down on your hands and knees and like move around the mulch on the outside of the berm to like get it to look right. <laughs> it's just awful. So even now to this day, my mom would be like, Oh, Riley, I got some mulching for you to do. Like, <laughs> yep. so yeah, I hate, I hated mulching growing up. It's awful. I still hate I, it. So yeah, I try to avoid it as much as I can. Last year, Emma did it. And <laughs> you forced Emma to do it. I didn't force her. That was just like she just went with it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, good. I'll run a whole deep one by for you. But I, <laughs> I'm not an outdoor chore person, so any mm -hmm. outdoor I don't mind mowing the lawn, but any outdoor thing, count me out. Not a lot of fun. Do you garden at all? Do you guys have a garden? We don't. We have we have a couple shrubs. We have some hydrangeas and. It was funny this this summer. My parents came over and helped pull out all the weeds in like the backyard and reseeded it. So at least it looks nicer. But no garden. I thought about doing one, but that's a lot of work that I just didn't want to. Then the pandemic hit, and you're like, you know what? This will be for later. <laughs> this, Even, this is a later topic. And then I realized how much work it was going to be. And mm -hmm. in the summer and the heat, I was like, this is this is <laughs> me. I'm not doing this. <laughs> so. 
Yes, those were all the rapid fire questions, and now we're going to go to a a pen review, not a film review. A pen. We review. are, and I, it's going to be a quick one because it's my cheapest pen that I got, and it's a real shame that Adam isn't here. But this bad boy is my Pilot Metropolitan. You can see it's got sick leopard print on it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, this thing costs, I think, $20. It's a uh, stainless steel body. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of indifferent to it. Um, the issue with Japanese nibs is they run thinner than German or European-style nibs. So this is a thin, but it's like scratching on paper and stuff. Um, it's just kind of heavy, sort of ugly. I got it because it was cheap, and I was like, oh, this is like the suggested one. I would, for anybody who's interested in a starter fountain pen... I'd probably push you off the um, the Metropolitan. There's a lot of different options, like a Prefonte, which we'll talk about probably next week. But uh, Pilot Metro, probably my least favorite one that I have. Um, wouldn't suggest it for anybody who's getting interested in the... They got cool styles, but probably not for the average user, I would guess. So pretty much you get what you pay for kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, if you're literally like very first one you kind of want something that's a little bit more substantial you have no preconceptions or notions about fountain pens you know if you got like a, a simple straightforward black one or whatever I, I, it would be a good place to begin and you can it's cheap you can try different nib sizes out so for that if you want to see like maybe a broad nib is for you maybe an extra fine maybe a medium maybe an italic it, this is the cheapest way to try all those out is the starter pens like this. So if you're, if, even if it's just something like that, figuring out what like a Japanese style nib in this sort of length or this sort of width, that might be something that would interest you. Okay, perfect. And then yes, once you get the next one, I'm excited for that. So yeah. we're going to then, I'm going to talk about a film. It is going to be Psych the movie. So Psych the TV show on USA Network. I was wondering if this was that. I was actually going to follow up with that. Okay, that's it good. Is. I didn't know there it was is. a movie. <laughs> I didn't know there was a movie. There's two now, actually. <laughs> okay, all right, great. The second one just came out on that um, Peacock, the streaming service that NBC put out. Um, okay. So that just came out a couple weeks ago. But Psych was a show that Emma and I have binged through during the pandemic. So we just finished all of the episodes. So we wanted to watch the movie because I knew there was a movie out there. It's available on Amazon. It kind of follows. Honestly, you could treat it like any other episode. It's just like set out a couple of years after the series finale. And I mean, the same antics are still there. It does a couple callbacks to older characters on the show. You know, there's, you know, one serial killer that they throw it back to have some family members. Um, so they got almost all the main cast. It was kind of weird because it's like, I'm sure in real life when that movie came out, you know, a couple of years later, it's like a nice little reunion. You kind of get that feeling back. While for me, it's like, I just watched the series finale on like Thursday and now it's Saturday and I'm watching it. So it's like, yeah, I know exactly what's going on. I know who everyone is. Like I didn't forget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was definitely a good episode. It, like I said, it felt, it was a TV I think it was like a TV movie, so it was still it technically had breaks for commercials and everything, but it was a fun time. I Psych was a very good show, so I give it a seven out of ten. I think it did a nice job at wrapping up a lot of the loose ends that still remained after the series finale and introduced a couple more characters and kind of just it felt like if it was you could have made like two or three episodes out of that movie and it would have been totally fine. So it was a good no. time. My only question follow-up to that is, which which sequel do you, to you, having experience of both, is more surprising? Psych 2 or 302, or whatever, whatever 302 is called? Oof. I feel like 300, because there's absolutely no <laughs> reason to do it. But there, that so, was completely so pointless. At least with Psych 2, based off of what I've seen in the general, like the brief synopsis and preview of it, one of the characters in the main series of Psych uh, wasn't in the movie as much because he suffered a stroke. So he wasn't as involved with this movie. So I think this next one is kind of trying to get him more into the fold. That okay. he's recovered enough. So at least that one made sense once I saw it. I just figured, what I initially thought when they made Psych 2, I was like, they just need something to get people to join Peacock mm -hmm. because it's another streaming thing. Thankfully, it's free. Yeah. But I had to sign up for it because Premier League Soccer, there's one day where all the matches are on there. I was like, this is dumb, but yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> they I'm got you like, in, though. Got you in the door. 
It got me signed up. I they got my email. Um, thankfully, <laughs> I didn't have to give a credit card, so yeah. it is legitimately free. But yeah, three hundred two was completely. Free. There was no reason for that. Everyone died in the first one. Like, why are we doing this again? <laughs> Uh, I just want to give a little throwback because I thought that was one of our best uh, film reviews was the back and forth about 300 and whatever, whatever the hell 302 is. Called. I feel like that's how it all started, to be honest. I think it was the second. I, th- I don't know if that was why we started doing it, but it might have been. I remember listening the next day on like my bus ride into work, just replaying that section, laugh, just dying. Laugh. It was so funny. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we're still able to do this. So, OK, so psych, you say seven or seven point five. What'd you say? Seven. Seven. Okay. For a main TV movie, that's not bad. It's not bad. I think it helps, like, because of who the characters are and mm-hmm. the story itself. It felt very much. It wasn't like a weird, like, this isn't the psych I remember watching. It was like, this is exactly <laughs> the kind of psych I remember watching for the last four months. <laughs> good. I'm glad. Consistency is key in those sorts of shows. So that's good to hear. I, you kind of need it. You kind of need it. So we are going to end it with the week ahead. So obviously we're not recording on Sunday. We recorded on Monday. So by the time this gets uploaded, the Nets game may or may not have happened. But the Bucks play the Brooklyn Nets on Tuesday. They play the Miami Heat on Thursday. And then Saturday they play the Dallas Mavericks. If Milwaukee gets one more win or Toronto loses one more time, Milwaukee will clinch the one seed. So depending on how that goes, that may affect how Bud approaches it. But Riley, what are you thinking in terms of predictions for this week? I'm going to say two and one. I think they'll catch the win against the Nets because the Nets have like three dudes in the bubble because everybody else got COVID or left or whatever the situation is or is injured. Something or is Kyrie. In the <laughs> or is, Ky- or is Kyrie. Uh, and I know that it's a 1230 central start, which is uh, insanity in its own way. So that'll be interesting. And I think they'll also get a win against the Heat because of all the like remaining games. Like I think... They do they end up playing the Raptors? Yeah, they do. Um, they do I think next week. So I think I think I pointed out before last week when we were talking about this. The Miami game is interesting because there's still a possibility that there will be something to play for, aka securing the number one seed. Um, if for whatever reason they don't beat the Nets, they're the Heat are a team that they had issues with this year. Um, we're, it kind of already been touted as maybe the Buck Stoppers. And so I think they'll really show out for that game. Hopefully fully staff, Pat, Eric, um, hopefully they'll be back. We won't have any other injuries or anything like that. And we'll have a better chance at saying, let's just go get this win for multiple reasons, both this specific seeding situation. And then also as the wider narrative and then a loss against Dallas, just because I think Dallas will have more to play for at that point. Um, And they're kind of just an interesting matchup between Luca and Porzingis as well. So. Yeah, I, I want to say three and O just because from what I see from the Mavericks, they have not put together four good quarters. They were great in the first half against Houston and fell apart. They were good yesterday against the Suns until the fourth quarter and fell apart. And I just don't, they already clinched a playoff spot. So now it's just a matter of seeding. And it seems like they're going to be stuck in that seventh seed. I'll stick with three and O just because the Nets have no one left and Milwaukee will want to get that one seed clinch. I think Miami it will be a slugfest, and it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I'd have to check to see when that game is, because I want to say it's either like a Thursday afternoon or early Thursday. Yeah, it's a 3 day. o'clock game, 3 o'clock yeah, game. Yeah, so that's just an awkward time in general. So <laughs> so that one, I, I think it's going to be a very low. It's going to be like a 90 to 85 win in that one. And then I, I do think they still have enough talent to beat the Mavericks, and maybe by then both Milwaukee and the Mavericks won't have as much to play for. And that might be a game where it might be like a Chris Middleton gets 51 points kind of mm-hmm. game. Like Giannis kind of only plays like 10, 15 minutes. Yep. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think there's still a lot to be learned. I think all these games, I want to give a shout out to the league uh, for all my doubts, the intensity of the games has been really good. The crowd noise. I mean, you warned us, Kyle, you warned us both here and on Twitter as well. Horrendous. I don't, do they, the one thing I'm not clear on is the crowd noise also in the like conference room, wherever the game is being played, or is that only on TV? That's something I'm curious about. I, I don't no idea. know. It was a lot worse 
on it was a lot worse yesterday than it was on friday i will yeah say it was just blasting i was like i can't even hear the announcers right now it's that loud with the crowd noise yeah and i'm gonna assume that's only on the tv just because i feel like if it was that much of a problem someone would have said something about it i think so too so, but but i should give a shout out to the ma it seems like you know hopefully it holds but the testing regime has worked the bubble still holds um, the games have been fun to watch. They've been competitive. Um, they, given the dire circumstances, it's going as well as you could hope. And I'm looking forward to these games just because it's good to have basketball back again. So good on you, NBA, for not screwing it up. Yeah, I kind of said it in the in our group chat and also on the roundtable. Congrats that your dumb gamble paid off. Mm-hmm. And as much as for all the criticism I have given the NBA, it has worked. So... Yes, I will give them props for their plan working, even if it is a idiotic plan in the first place. <laughs> but that will be it for us. Um, I don't know if Adam's going to be back by the next time we record. If not, Riley and I will keep on going. Hopefully, Milwaukee has clinched the one seed, beat the Heat, and we don't have to hear any more ridiculous storylines coming from national writers that only watch the Bucks five times a year. Otherwise, thank you for watching. Make sure to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. And we will talk to you next week. 